Well, hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah, hey, listen, I love this season. That's kind of been a theme this morning. Brennan shared it, and Micah, and, and, and me as well. So, um, hey, if you're tuning in online, Merry Christmas to you, and, and, but especially everybody who's gathered with us. Listen, I love this season. I love the lights, the decorations, the music, right? I, I love all the traditions. You know, I've received a nutcracker from my parents since I was born, and so I've got a lot of nutcrackers, and they grow each and every year, so all kinds of unique traditions like that, and, and I look forward to this season, and, um, and, and I really, really enjoy it, but um, having kids, and some of you get this, having kids, man, it kind of brings a new thrill to the holiday season, right, to Christmas, and uh, a few years ago, we were uh, living in northern Kentucky, and we were decorating for Christmas, and some of you go all out. There's a few in this room who like go all out, and um, and I love it. But what we were decorating, and uh, and we just kind of finished the tree, and I went to the other room, and I'm probably setting out nutcrackers or something, and uh, and I come back, and my son, who's eight now, he was five at the time. He's in the room, and he's standing by the Christmas tree, and I walk in, and I look, and this is what I see, and he says, hey, Dad, I took all the ornaments off the tree. And I was like, what? And he looked at me and said, I'm just kidding. I just spun it around. And I was like, oh, my God. And so, like, I was cracking up, but also, like, buddy, we can't do that. There's, like, all that. But I was like, man, this is next-level prankster stuff. Like, I was kind of surprised, but a little bit proud, you know. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And so it's only worse now. But um, listen, I, I love the Christmas season. I love all the excitement. And, and I want you to think back, like, when you were a child. Think back, like put yourself back. Some of you have to think further. We'll give you a moment, right? But you got to think all the way back to when you were a child, when you were a kid at Christmas time. And think about some of the excitement and the thrill. And, and listen, I want to try something just to see. I'm a fan of like calling response. I just want to see how like alert we are. But let me just say this to see if we can um, make something happen. But twas the night before Christmas when all through the, not a creature was stirring, not even a, yeah, all right, man, you are tracking, yes, so, but take yourself back to like a night before Christmas when you were a kid, and, and think through, man, the anticipation, and the excitement, and, and you, you knew that you were just one sleep away if you could fall asleep, but it was on the horizon, and you're waiting for Christmas Day to come. Listen, that's really a, a great depiction of hope, of this waiting with anticipation. And as Micah said, we're kicking off this series called The Coming King, and we're going to explore some gifts, but not gifts necessarily that we bring, but gifts that, that God sent through his son, Jesus, the ultimate gift, and with him, gifts of hope and peace and joy and love. And today we're talking about hope. And hope is looking forward to something good that's coming, but but hope is different than merely wanting or wishing or even optimism. And so those words, they, they, they kind of help us like, like encapsulate like what hope is and what it means. But it's a little bit different. You see, a want, a want is something that ultimately like we can achieve. Like if we put our mind to it, if we get the right resources, we put in the work, we, we've got the right connections, and we can achieve like something that you really want. And, and then there's wish. A wish is more whimsical, right? A wish is something like, it's kind of like faith with floaties on, right? As you think of a wish, it's something that you do when you blow out birthday candles or you throw a penny in a fountain or you make a wish list, right? There's things on there that you don't necessarily expect to get because it's all based on like 
shifting circumstances. It's kind of this far-fetched. And then, then there's optimism. And optimism is similar to hope, but optimism is more of a positive vantage point, right? Like having confidence about an outcome. You see, being optimistic is having like the, the glass half full approach. You're wearing rose-colored glasses, right? Like, yes, certainly it's going to be UK's year again, right? And, and so you, you kind of approach it with this optimism. It's a great way to live, and it's fun, but it's not solid enough to build your life on. But, but you see, hope, hope really is unattainable on our own. Like, yes, hope is desire, it's optimistic, and, and it's anticipation, but, but for the Christ follower, it's more than a feeling, it's also a person. That hope is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, I, I love this verse. The author, the writer of Hebrews, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And the hope that the author is speaking of is the hope that we have in Jesus. That Jesus is our hope and Jesus is hope. He's this anchor. That doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to be protected from the storm around you. No, it's going to be that you've got this security through it. And Jesus is that, that Jesus is our hope, and he's like an anchor for our souls. I love that. I love that. You, you know, the Bible Project, it's this wonderful resource. Some of you are familiar. I recommend it. It's a great resource, and it produces all kinds of like word studies and, and helps you kind of wrap your mind around some pretty complex um, concepts. And so um, it's a resource that I've used again and again. I encourage you to check it out. But there's a word study they did on hope that's really helped me like kind of unpack this. And I'm using some of that as we talk through um, hope this morning. But, but, but listen, unsurprisingly, hope, hope is this vital concept, not only in Scripture, but in our life, Right? Hope, it's vital, and that, that people all around the world, regardless of belief, they hold on to hope. They need hope, and they hold on to it, and it kill, like it keeps them moving forward. Like entire presidential campaigns have been run on this one word, hope. It just it speaks to the human soul, right? And, and so when we think about it, we think about hope, well, what's it mean, like not just in our context, but in the context of scriptures, Right? And that will give us an idea of why it's so significant that Jesus brought it, that Jesus personifies it. You see, in fact, there's many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible. And each word, each word for hope, it provides like a unique perspective and dimension to the text and helps us understand what the author's talking about, more so what they're living, what they're describing for us. And so in the Old Testament, there's really two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yakal. Your call, right? And it means to wait for this idea that, that you wait for something, that, that, that you're waiting. And so like the story of Noah and the ark, after the 40 days and 40 nights of rain falling from the sky and waters rising from the earth, Noah and his family, they had to your call. They had to wait for the waters to recede, waiting on that. And so that's, that's, one, that's one word for hope in the Old Testament. The other is this word kavah. Kava, which simply means to wait. But it's also where we get this word kav from. And kav, interestingly enough, means cord. And, and so it's not just to wait, but it's really to wait with this anticipation, this expectation. And see, a kav, whether you're a rock climber or you've merely just tied your shoes, you understand when you put tension on a cord, 
and you've got tension until a release, right? Like, like, so when you put tension on a cob, on, on this cord, that's the same idea. That's a picture of this word hope, that, that there's tension there. It's filled with tension and anticipation that you're hoping. You're not just waiting, but, but you're on the edge of your seat expecting something to happen, expecting some sort of relief or release. And that, that's this word kavah, this tension you feel. And as Dr. Tim Mackey puts it, in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. Waiting for what? Well, during the time of Israel's prophets, like God's people in the Old Testament, during this time, man, the nation, they once again traded God's design and will for selfishness and idolatry. It's the same story. It's a vicious cycle, right? They turn back to God and they fall from him. And, and in the time of the prophets, they, they were fallen away from God. And it's a dark, dark time. And the prophet Isaiah, he says in chapter 8, verse 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. So the prophet is saying, listen, this is dark, dark days. And the Lord, he's hiding his face from Israel. There's this silence. So I will kavah for him. That's the word. I will wait with anticipation, living in this tension, that this tension-filled hope, Isaiah is saying, is that that's where my hope remains, that it remains in God. Even among all the chaos around me, I'm holding on to God, And then we find the same expectant hope kind of dripping across the pages in the book of Psalms. Psalms is this collection. Some of you are familiar of, of like songwriters and poets, and they, they write these beautiful songs and, and, and these poetries um, about God and for God and about people in this relationship. And so we see this same sentiment of this expectation, this hope, and in nearly each line or stanza, what people are waiting on and in and for is God. Like in Psalm 71, the poet writes, Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel, for you have been my kavah, my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. It's in, like, like you are my kavah. You are what I'm hoping on and hoping Four, and then the psalmist in Psalm 130, this is sent songwriter, he pens these words, out of the depths I cry to you. Try, you ever been in the depths? You ever been in a dark place? That's what he's writing from. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Hear my voice. Continues verse five. I kavah for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Then he finishes verse seven and eight. Israel, so he turns away, he says, I put my hope in the Lord, this tension-filled hope. I'm trusting, I'm waiting on the Lord. Now Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Let all Israel, you call for the Lord to wait on the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And so we see this, that biblical hope is based on a person on faithful promises, not on circumstance. In fact, as the Bible Project says, that hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better. Like, like, like you've been there, right? Where you're hoping and there's nothing about your circumstance that's promising that, 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 that victory is in sight, but you continue to hold on. He said that's what we see throughout Scripture, like the prophet Hosea. 
He lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires. And he chose hope when he said, God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. So Isaiah 2, 15, I love that. That God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. And, and, and he's thinking back like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. That God had surprised his people with redemption back then. In the days of the Exodus. And he could do it again. Because we see that it is God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. Like you can look back and see where God was faithful in your story and in his story, in the story of God. You can see God's faithfulness and that motivates you, that fuels your hope for the future to keep holding on. And that you look for by looking backward, trusting that the same God who moved in can turn it around now, right? Just the essence of Psalm 39, 7, it says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yakal, that you are my hope. And so as God's people throughout Israel's history, they held on to hope. They held out for a king. They held out for a king, and that's what they were waiting for. That's who they were waiting on. But the kings, they came and went throughout the Old Testament. And with each successive king, the hope of the people of God continued to fade because a king would come, but it wasn't the one they were waiting on. It wasn't the chosen king. It wasn't the promised king. It wasn't the Messiah. And so, so with each king, you have this entire like, run, this domain, but then they're left still hoping, waiting, right? And, and so because Israel still longed for the promised king who would usher in God's peace and deliverance, that's where they find themselves. And because they are there, they latched on and leaned into the words of the prophet Isaiah. And this is a verse we oftentimes read at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the prophecy of the one they are hoping for and waiting on. You see, as a nation, they had witnessed the rise and fall of their people as evidenced through the divided kingdom and then the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And we studied that this fall. And then even the exile of God's people to a foreign land. And though they were physically back in the Holy Land once more as a people, they remained spiritually bankrupt, waiting. It was a dark world, but it was dark inside of them. They needed a savior. But the prophets... Right, like all these promises, the prophets, like remember the prophecies that, but that, that they spoke of a coming king, but, but, but this day on the horizon when God would come and redeem them, but, but the days turned to weeks and the weeks, the months, the months, to years and then decades, and, and they're still waiting because you see that they're, they're saying like, hey, listen, like, like, for unto us a child is born, but babies are still being born and no king. No ultimate deliverer. And, and they're, they're like, hey, listen, we're waiting. We're holding out. The government's going to rest on his shoulders, but, but they're being oppressed by governments around them. Still nothing. And, and then they get to this, this moment, this, this time in their history where it's silent. In fact, for over 400 years, nearly 450 years, God is silent. That all these promises were made, that, that hope is coming, right? That this, this counselor is coming, this mighty God, he's going, he's going to come and step into the story, this prince of peace, he's coming. But nothing. 
In fact, God is silent. So we get to this, this moment where, where there's over, there's, there's 400 years, there's, there's centuries past, and then God doesn't speak through any more prophets, and they're waiting, and that is all they have to hold on to is the hope that God will be faithful. And it gets harder the longer that he's silent. You've been there, right? Or you're holding on, but you feel like there's just silence. You feel like there's nothing there. And year after year, you're waiting, but there's no resolve. You only have silence. And, and, and if you've ever experienced that, where you feel like, God, would you just please speak? So did a guy named Simeon. You know, if you're not familiar with Simeon or his story, I get it. Because um, though he's part of the Christmas story, he's never made it into a nativity scene. No kid has ever been like, hey, dad, I was Simeon. I'm chosen to be Simeon. No, that doesn't happen. Like there are zero Christmas songs written about him, and he's far less popular than even the little drummer boy, who, by the way, wasn't actually there. He, he's, we've made that up. The little drummer boy was not at like the manger. He's not there. But if he was, can we just pause for a moment? What a horrible gift to bring, right? Exhausted, tired mom. And he's like, oh, he's sleeping. Right? What are you doing? Okay, so by the way, he wasn't there, but Simeon, Simeon was a part of the Christmas story. And we see this that though he doesn't get a lot of stage time, it's likely because his story isn't super exciting. His story is all about waiting. And no matter the context, waiting is uncomfortable. And it gets even more difficult when what we're waiting for is more serious. And big, and that's Simeon's life. You see, in those moments of waiting, we don't just feel impatient, we can also feel despair and hopelessness. And the Israelites felt that, Simeon felt that, and I've been there, and I'm sure you have too. Where you're waiting, you feel hopeless, you feel despair. You see, Simeon's whole life revolved around the prophecy that one day the Messiah would come to earth. He believed that, that God's son would step foot on this planet. So his entire life, he's waiting for that. And Simeon believed that he would actually see and know the one who would remove the curse of sin from his people, the Israelites. Simeon believed that with all of his being, that he would actually meet Jesus. And to simplify it as much as I can, here it is, that Simeon knew the Israelites were sinners in need of a savior. He knew that. And Simeon held on to the hope that a savior was on the way. That's all he had, that we need a savior and I'm gonna get to meet him. And it's important to know that Simeon held on to hope because many people around him had given up completely. They were simply tired of waiting. And I can kind of get that after 400, 450 years waiting, 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 nothing. And they start to give up, start to give up. But then God moved. You see, what had appeared to be a deafening silence was actually a quiet drum roll for the long-awaited coming king to step into the story that finally, we go from Malachi to Matthew. It's literally this right here. We flip the page, we flip the page, and we, and we jump right into the New Testament, but there's over 400 years in this page turn. And then finally, God moves, God steps into the store and he sends a messenger to announce to a, a couple that, hey, you're gonna have a, a miracle baby and you're gonna name him John. He's gonna be the forerunner of Christ. And he sends an angel to Mary and she's pledged to be married to this guy named Joseph. Says, hey, you're gonna have a baby, but, but it's gonna be the Holy Spirit. It's gonna be God's child. And then nine months later, we pick the story up at Christmas. 
when this baby would be born. And I wanna share with you an excerpt from an Advent devotional this past week that I read. Just listen to how it paints this picture. At long last, the cry of deliverance was heard again, uttered from the lips of the word made flesh. This newborn's cry pierced the midnight sky like a trumpet heralding sin's demise and the defeat of death forever for all who would believe. The ancient of days stepped into time and wrapped himself in the frailty of human skin. He came full of pity, compassion, and power to rescue those lost in darkness and carry them into the kingdom of everlasting light. He came just as he said he would to do what we never could. That he came. That hope showed up. That the incarnation, God put on skin and bones in the form of Jesus and Jesus entered the world as a baby at that first Christmas and with him, the fulfillment of our hope. And this hope, this word made flesh, this coming Messiah, this wonderful counselor, prince of peace, he was also the king of kings. This newborn baby was King Jesus. That King Jesus showed up. The one they'd been waiting for and holding out, filled with tension and anticipation and expectation that King Jesus has finally showed up in the Gospel of Matthew. It opens with the genealogy that traces the roots of Christ throughout Jewish history. So if you read Matthew, it doesn't start with like jingle bells. No, no, no. It starts with, with names. And some are hard to pronounce, but it's saying, it's, 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 giving, it's giving evidence to the fact that Jesus is this promised Savior. And so you walk all the way through that, and it brings you up to Jesus, and it jumps into the Christmas story. But if you had to summarize the entire book of Matthew, this gospel account to a guy who was actually there, if you had to summarize the gospel of Matthew, it would be this, that Jesus is the promised king who came to fulfill the hope of his people. That is who Jesus is. He is king. And he came to save and rescue and redeem his people. But this new king introduced a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom where Jews and Gentiles alike could find forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and hope for this life and the next. And that means that Jesus made a way for folks who shared in his heritage, of this Jewish heritage, but also folks who didn't, folks like you and me, that we, that we too could find forgiveness of sin, peace, with God and hope for this life and the next. Because Jesus is king and Jesus stepped into our story. You see, not just because King Jesus came from there to here, but because of what King Jesus did while here. That while he was here, he lived a perfect life and he became the atoning sacrifice for us. And by believing in him, we too can have hope. Hope in this life is an anchor for our souls that even in the midst of a storm, we have security in Jesus. But also hope for the next life as well, that he has removed sin as far as the east is from the west. And he has saved us. And we make him Lord and Savior and we follow hard after him. And we see this, that at Christmas, Jesus didn't just take on the form of a tiny baby body. He personified hope to offer a path of freedom for everybody. That when Jesus stepped into our story, he also issued an invitation into God's story. That we too could be a part of the family that every person who calls on the name of King Jesus will be saved. 
That is worth putting hope in, our faith in, and herein lies the mystery of Christmas. Get this, you see, normally you and I would be humbly honored to show up with a gift for a king, just as the wise men would go on to do. But here, King Jesus actually shows up and presents gifts to us. That at Christmas, he brought hope, he fulfilled hope, and he brings peace as the prince of peace, and he brings joy as our response to him, and he shows us and he proves love to us and invites us to love in the same way. And just as God's people did for centuries prior to that first Christmas, we can read and study how the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated a similar brand of hope, how they continued to hold out for expectation, how they grasped and held on to King Jesus for hope in this life, but also in the next. You see, the early church, they believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's remarkable response to our sin, condition, and impending death. You see, the empty tomb opened a new door of hope that this valley of death could be turned into an avenue of hope through Jesus. And from that point on, the early Christians used the Greek word elpis to describe this hope and waiting with expectation that we've seen God move and we expect him to do it again. And that's where we live. That's the the hope that we hold on to, this waiting and anticipation brand and type of hope. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he says that Jesus, Jesus, and through his resurrection, he offers us living hope, that it is alive, that we are all born again and sharing Christ's victory and inheritance. And Peter goes on a bit later in verse 21, and he says that all because of that, because of what Jesus did your faith and LPs, your hope are in God. And the Apostle Paul says, Now may the God of LPs, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you will abound in LPs by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, Hey, may this God who is rich in hope, who is filthy rich in hope, may him, may he lavish so much hope on you that it begins to fill you up, but overflows out of you, and you've got so much hope that it, it splashes onto those around you. That's the picture here, that this hope, this hope is like like an endless well that God has offered to us in the name of Jesus. So may this God of hope, who is rich in hope, fill you with hope in this season. The chaos of Christmas, may we not miss Christ in the midst of celebrating Christmas, right? And here's why we can have hope, because God is faithful, Just as the Israelites could look back and allow God's faithfulness of the past to fuel their hope for the future, we do the same with Jesus. What Jesus did, not only at the manger, but at the cross, provides a foundation for our faith and motivation for our hope. Motivation to keep holding on, even in the waiting, to keep the hope. You know, a lot like Simeon. You know, I mentioned Simeon just earlier that he's waiting on this and and how he held on to hope that a savior was on the way. We'll get this. One day while Simeon was was praying, God promised Simeon that he would live long enough to actually see the savior he was waiting for. And and so God, he he, he answers Simeon's prayer and, and that he would eventually get to meet this Savior, And we don't know how old Simeon was, but God makes a promise that you won't die before this. And so we, we, we've kind of concluded that Simeon was probably pretty old when God made this promise. And so day after day, he may wake up and think, is this the day? This could be the day I get to meet the Messiah. But as each day would pass and he's waiting with expectation, maybe a day turns into a week, into a month, and he's waiting with anticipation. Might this be the day? And then all of a sudden, 
something happens. All of a sudden, it might have seemed like an ordinary day to most people. And, and, and maybe, may, maybe Simeon was tempted at sometimes to, to give up on this promise, to just, man, maybe I misheard God. Maybe it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But no, he holds on. He continues expecting. And Luke, in chapter 2, describes Simeon as being righteous and devout, that he kept trusting and he kept waiting. And so on this day, on this day, he realized that he'd been part of a much bigger story than his own that he had been invited to trade the starring role of his tiny story for supporting casserole in God's grand epic adventure, that Simeon was a part of something. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 27, that the Spirit led Simeon to the temple, that something was a little bit different about this day. And so he feels this urge that God is telling him and moving him, hey, you need to go to the temple. And so he's like, I don't know. Okay. So he laces up his kicks, right? And he gets there, and he shows up, and he gets to the temple. And he walked into the temple courts and he saw a young girl. And he saw a guy with her and they're holding a baby, an eight-day-old baby. And she and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, they were bringing their baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord as was Jewish custom. And as they held the Messiah in their arms, people passed by not knowing they were in the presence of God. But Simeon, Simeon, likely a feeble old man, he he comes up to them and he comes, and I don't know the interaction, but we see that Simeon comes and he's, he's overjoyed and he's delighted and he takes this baby into his hands the moment he had anticipated his entire life and he began to rejoice loudly. That this, this in this moment, I want you to think, this in this moment, it's kind of like an all-out Simba moment. Track with you, where he takes this baby and he holds him up and, and, he, and he gets it and he's like, he's like, this kind of thing. But he holds his baby. And he's celebrating. And listen to how Simeon describes it because Simeon knew what very few did. This is what he knew, that this baby was the Savior that God had promised. Jesus was the coming King humanity had been waiting for. And he's holding this baby. And maybe people are looking, maybe it's just Mary. We don't really know. But he took the baby and he holds him up and he says these words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He laid eyes on salvation. He touched the Savior. And he lifted high hope. And in this moment, Simeon says, my mission's complete. God, you're so faithful. And I've been holding on to hope and you have answered my prayer. He saw God's promise. He saw salvation. And in that moment, all the waiting was worth it. That Simeon waited and he held on to hope because he trusted that God had a bigger story, a story bigger than the one he could see right in front of him. And it's why he never came up because he knew that hope holds on. Hope holds on. And how you can hold on is by being anchored to Jesus. That in the midst of the chaos, you can hold on. It won't remove you from the storm, but will provide security through it. And that's what hope did, and that's what hope does. And so, friends, let me just say, this Christmas, it might be difficult to trust in God's story. 
to trust that he has something bigger planned, especially if your story right now feels confusing or painful or stressful. Because when you're waiting on answers or solutions or relief, it's easy to feel like it's not worth it. It's easy to feel like giving up because you said maybe today's the day and it wasn't. And you said that more times than you can count. You feel like giving up. So whatever you're waiting for, in the middle of your waiting, do what Simeon did. Focus on God's promise. Trust that salvation is coming. Trust that no matter what you're going through, God can turn it around. Trust that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Trust that God's faithfulness will fuel your hope in him. Because with Jesus, the good news of Christmas is that God is with you. Emmanuel, and if God is with you, then hope is in you. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You may not be able to see the bigger picture and understand why you're still waiting, but like the Israelites, like Simeon, you can hold on knowing that even in the tension, hope is here because King Jesus came. And so friends, we're gonna wrap up a little bit different this morning. We're gonna wrap up by singing a song together. The song that is filled with hope. And I'm reminded that Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. And I need that reminder because it doesn't say be still and feel that I am God. No, no. Sometimes we don't feel hope. But when we've experienced it and we remember God's faithfulness and like Simeon, we, we, we've actually touched it. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that God is not only real, but God is really active in our lives and it fuels us to keep taking steps. So friends, I wanna invite you to stand up. I wanna invite you to stand up and, and we're gonna sing together. We're gonna sing a song that's talking about turning it around, praying out and that God, would you turn it around? We know that he did before. We trust, holding on to hope, that he'll do it 